live from the mysterious mist enshrouded mountaintop fortress that is X and Y Communications Headquarters. You're listening to X and Y on the Fly, the dating podcast with your hosts, Scott and Emily. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of The Big Show. My name is Scott McKay. And I'm Emily McKay. And today we're going to cover a topic that is timely, yet somehow evergreen, and that's this idea of disruption. Oh, we never get that around here. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, you know, for many of us who live what I call the suburban sleepwalk here in Western culture, it's as if we get our nice little job our nice little house, our nice little two cars and our nice little two car garage and our nice little 2.5 kids and a dog. And we kind of just set it and forget it, right? Yes. And for lack of a better word, it gets to be very routine and very boring sometimes. Yeah. But you don't feel the boredom as much because it feels so safe. So along comes something like a COVID-19 virus and the lockdown and the social distancing and all these scary terms that we're hearing and told to abide by. And it's as if someone moved our cheese big time, right? (laughs) No kidding, right? You know, when we get to the point where we're used to being at home and being relaxed and we don't feel the need to go out and socialize, now that we're not allowed to socialize, we want to. Yeah, it's almost like an introvert's dream. It's like, really? I get to stay (laughs) home? This is awesome. And, you know, early on in this process probably early March. I did a Facebook Live with my guys where I said, I think a lot of people, when they're told to spend more time at home, actually welcomed it because it was, oh, okay, now I don't have to make an excuse for doing this. You know, I could stay at home, watch porn, rub one out, play video games, and it's all in the name of, uh, you know, flattening the curve, right? Yet, once we're told we need to do that, all of a sudden everybody freaks out because it breaks that norm. It disrupts us. Now, back when I worked in technology, disruption was actually a techie term. I mean, this is circa 2000, 2002, when technology was deemed disruptive. What they meant was it's going to come along and shake up business as usual. It's going to shake up technology as you know it. It's going to replace something else. Like, for example, voice over IP was disruptive because it changed the way we thought of doing telephones. Instead of doing it over a circuit switch, now we're doing it over IP packets, which other people who were used to doing the telephone sleepwalk were saying, oh, that's impossible. It'll never work. But indeed, it came and it disrupted everything. And most of us would say, unless we were financially affected because we lost business directly because of it, that you know, not having long distance charges and being able to call the world and video conference and full bandwidth on Skype is a good thing. Life got better. Life got better. So now that we've been disrupted, with a quickness, by the way, I mean, this this was something that some people were predicting, but the extent to which people are holed up and having to self-quarantine is not something a whole lot of people really saw coming. People are freaking out, aren't they? No kidding, because we can't see each other. We can't go on dates. We can't do what we normally used to. It's It's scary, too. But, you know, the question is, when this is over, how are things going to change? How are they going to get better? How are they going to get worse? What's going to be different? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, at the macro level there, human beings think in terms of gloom and doom when their imaginations are left to spin freely. 
But if you can think positively about this disruption, how's the world going to be a better place because of it? I think that's the first mindset to really look closely at here. I think it matters. It's almost like taking ownership of your situation, even though many of us feel really helpless in the midst of it, right? I believe a lot of great things are going to come from this. So I'd like to talk about that. For one thing, a lot of people who have not wanted to hang out with one another have now found themselves wanting to have that contact. And we've discovered all kinds of ways in which to do so. But the internet and the telephones are not giving us the closeness that we desire. We are wanting that one-on-one contact to actually see the person that we're dating or that we're interested in or care about. It's like we want that which we can't have, whatever it is. So for all these years, like a decade or so, we've been talking to each other on Facebook and Twitter and saying, oh, you know what? I've done my part socially. And doing lots of swiping left and yeah, right. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, online dating has been reduced to collecting likes to massage our own egos, really. People aren't even connecting anymore. We've talked about that quite a bit around here. But where the big switch took place, the big disruption, is now we're forced into that modality solely. That's uniquely what's available to us during this lockdown. And people are like, well, you know what? I think maybe because I can't go really socialize with people in the real world, that's what I really want to do because I can't have it. Therefore, I want it. So I think you're absolutely right. One of the good things that's going to come from this is people realize the value of one-on-one real-world interaction. I keep telling my guys, you know, once the all-clear sign is given and people can go out and socialize again, start asking women out because they'll love going on dates. They'll be ready to get out of the house. And so it's going to be a bonanza out there once this thing breaks. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? You know, I was thinking today, that as soon as this is over, I cannot wait to have all my friends over and it'll be time to have a party. Well, they better have us over their house too. They better reciprocate. <laughs> I'm sure they will. <laughs> There'll be a lot of interaction, I think. I think a lot of people are just, we're thirsty for it. Yeah, I know. And I think lots of other good things are going to come from this. We've already seen the environment improve. People are saying, man, the air is so much cleaner. There's so much less clutter out there. You know, if you go out for a bike ride at dusk, you can actually smell the flora change after the sun goes down, like you're in Yosemite National Park. It's like being out in the wilderness in your own neighborhood again. It's amazing. I know, in such a short amount of time. And, you know, it's nice to see everybody go outside and enjoy the fresh air and do outdoor activities that a lot of people haven't done in a very long time. And I think the other thing is people won't be as lazy. I think they'll be eager to get back to work and do something productive outside. People will be working on their lawns. People will be more active. You know, getting holed up in a way that was prescribed. In other words, you have to comply with this rule. You know, it gets into your human nature and says, well, I want to break this rule. I want to rebel (laughs) against it. Having that freedom taken away from you, that choice, that free choice, like, wait a minute. You know, I had the choice and I chose not to do it. Now I don't have the choice. What, you know, what's wrong here? I don't like that. So amazingly ironic, isn't it? It is. And I think people will also be more prepared in the future for when a crisis hits. All those guys who were saying, oh, you better get a bunch of canned goods and collect up toilet paper and have a gun laying around the house because you just don't know what's going to happen. Now we've stared that in the face. Now, not on a Mad Max scale where it feels like the end of the world. It's not exactly apocalyptic, but even told we need to stay indoors and we need to behave as if this is a big deal for the sake of, you know, flattening the curve, however you want to put it, not 
endangering older folks who could get very sick and possibly die from this, even though we feel well right now, it really has put us face to face with the validity of being prepared instead of winging it from day to day. And I think that's another good thing that will come from this. Well, we haven't been faced with anything serious in our generation or our lifetime, for that matter. Since the 50s on forward, we really haven't faced serious crisis here. Yeah, the closest situation I can think of to that would be 9-11, when everybody thought because of one big egregious act, of course, that the world was coming to an end and the United States was under attack and we might have to hunker down and expect the worst. Yet this seems a little bit more protracted a situation. Well, and it's also closer to home because wherever New York is compared to where we're living currently, unless you're in New York, it seems like a longer distance. It's not as personal. It's not like in our own homes. This is actually affecting us personally. We can't go to the grocery store. If we do, you know, a lot of what we want is not there. We're feeling the effects on a lot deeper level. Yeah, and you're talking about the grocery stores. Man, you can see and feel. Like it's like cutting the tension with a knife, going to the grocery store and seeing how people don't know how to deal with this disruption. (laughs) I mean, everybody associated with the grocery store chains are saying, hey, you know what? There's no real food shortage here. But the perception of a shortage is making people, you know, buy three times as much of certain items as they normally would. And we just don't have the trucks nor the headcount to fill the shelves up with three times as much stuff every day. So it's being perceived as a shortage when it's not. And of course, people were panicking. And you really see who's prepared for a disruption versus who's really cocooned themselves up and not ready to be flexible. Well, you know, that preparation isn't just physical, you know, getting toilet paper and getting your water and your, you know, regular needs taken care of. But the preparedness also comes from a mental standpoint. When you go and you see the stress, are you prepared to deal with the stress? Are you prepared to help contribute to it? Or are you going to be helping to contribute to lessening it? So like when I go to the grocery store and I see a lot of serious faces and I tend to try to smile and, you know, say hello from a distance and try to lighten the day or at least lighten the mood and cut that tension. And sometimes I get growled out basically. And other times people are like, oh, thank God someone's friendly. There's some relief there. Well, I've noticed that this disruption has basically separated us all out into two types of people. People who have lost their sense of humor and people who have found it. And I think that says a lot about our preparedness, even our mental toughness, like you're talking about, versus our tendency to panic and just run around like chickens with their head cut off. I mean, if you think this is a terrible situation and you're letting your brain spin everything into oblivion, you're not going to see much of a sense of humor. You're going to be like every man for themselves. Give me all that toilet paper. And you're fighting people in the aisles of a grocery store to the point where it's almost fisticuffs. Meanwhile, there are other people who are like, you know, I see what's going on here and I'm going to crack a joke. I'm going to be kind to someone today. I'm going to practice random acts of human kindness and help brighten someone else with a smile, because I think that's what we all really need here, is something to make life worth living. Because it isn't the end of the world, unless, of course, you're very sick from it and pass away, unfortunately. But for the vast majority of us, this is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to contribute to humanity. It's an opportunity to reevaluate how we live our daily lives, whether we really are stuck in a rut. And it's an opportunity to make 
lemonade out of the lemons we're given. Well, it's helped us realize that we haven't been living our lives to the fullest. And it's disrupted our lifestyle that we realize, I'd like to get out there and live again. Yes. And you know what? This is what I keep hearing over and over again, directly and indirectly. In other words, people tell me this directly and I'm reading it, you know, on blogs and in the news, is that people are coming face to face vis-a-vis this disruption with not having things the way they're used to having them, not doing the things they're used to doing, not interacting with the people they're used to interacting with, not doing the job they're used to doing, not spending their leisure time in the way they're used to spending it. And they're getting a quick and brutally honest tutorial in what really matters to them. Are these things that I had going on in my life really things I was enjoying? Are the things I said I love doing things I'm missing now that I can't do them? Or is there kind of almost a sense of relief that that weight's been lifted off my shoulder? Are there certain people I interact with all the time who I'm not missing at all? Are there people who I didn't think much about, yet when they're not in my life, I think more highly of them? What are the hobbies? What are the pastimes I really wish I could get out and do right now versus those things that I'm glad I don't have to suffer through anymore? And that is really a poignant look at our human nature. And I think a lot of good can come out of that kind of disruption also if we let it. And not to mention our jobs. I mean, right now, a lot of people either unemployed or uncertain as to whether they're going to keep their employment. Uh, The financial situation is a burden on a lot of people. And this gets us to thinking, okay, how can I keep this from happening again? How can I change and make things better so I don't have to worry about what's going to happen down the road when another crisis happens, should one ever happen? You know, there's been a lot of talk along those same lines about a lot of things becoming more virtual in the future. People are going to do a lot more virtual meeting. They're going to do a lot more virtual visits with doctors. They're going to work from home more. They're going to be looking for those work from home opportunities. You know, it'll either go that way or people who have been working from home are going to remind themselves that going outside is really living. That pendulum could swing either way, you know? Well, staying at home has helped us realize we need to get out. Otherwise, we start to feel stir crazy and claustrophobic and depressed. Depression hits us when we're staying home with nothing else to do. And TV can only fill that void to a certain point, and that gets really dull and boring really fast. Yeah, a lot of people watch the world happen around them on TV. They just live vicariously through quite literally everybody else. And, you know, I'm reminded of two things. First of all, we do work from home. We do spend a lot of time with each other, and people ask us about that. They joke about that. But we've really put ourselves in a position over the past decade of being happy, of being free, of doing what we say we want to do. And the danger of that is you don't want to disrupt it. Aha, see, this comes full circle. (laughs) Disrupting something that's good. Right. In other words, the old adage is if it's not broken, don't don't fix fix it. it. Right. So even before everybody's world got broken by this present pandemic, and that's worldwide, which I think is sort of unprecedented, at least since World War II. You got a situation where you and I were already thinking, you know, we need to go out and change things. We need to sell the house, move somewhere else, try some new hobbies, get involved in some different business ventures, do something different because otherwise we could do the same thing quite literally for the rest of our life and perhaps be happy about it. 
Now, what's wrong with that? Nothing, I guess, because it's not broken and so why fix it? But what about instead of holding on to pure sentimental memories and saying, well, you know, I can't get rid of this because it's special to me or whatever. What is there to be said for going out and making new memories, going out and adding to that pile of wonderful experiences? What about the bucket list? You know, Harvey McKay, who's one of my favorite authors and sort of a mentor of mine, wrote just this morning in his newsletter about how a bucket list can define the rest of your life. You know, make the rest of your life the best of your life is what he said at the foot of it. And I love that line, which, of course, he gets full credit for. And yet so many people have indeed been living today the same way they lived yesterday and are fully planning to do tomorrow the way they did today. You know, mentioning the bucket list, that's so important. I think everybody needs to make one if you don't have one now. But yes, figuring out what you want to do with your life and do it. Live the life to the fullest. Because guess what? After all this has happened, we've come to realize we only get one shot at it. As does everybody. And we don't know how long that shot is. You know, it could be, you know, you get sick and you're done. Or it could be, you know, 50 years or 100 years. We don't know. But enjoying what we have and appreciating it and not taking it for granted is so important. Yeah, I mean, just getting out and doing something different, anything different, is a disruption. When was the last time you did something for the first time? That's another thing Harvey McKay mentioned. And I think that's a great question, one that challenged even me, because we've done so many things that finding something that we've never done before to do for the first time seems like it's going to involve a lot of complication. <laughs> a lot of work and scariness, isn't it? Scary. Right. Yeah. But it also involves some creativity and imagination is what it involves. It means going to the grocery store now that everything is depleted and all your favorite stuff may not be on the shelves and saying, all right, well, what about this thing that nobody's buying? Maybe I could cook that up into something good. And the next thing you know, it's in your dinnertime rotation, right? You know, we're trying to support restaurants because, you know, they only have carryout. What's that restaurant you've been meaning to try, but you didn't go in there for whatever reason? Pick up the blower and have them deliver you something new to try for dinner. I think that's really a good word. And even as we're practicing social distancing at the time we're recording this, you know, people are doing what they call sheltering in place, which is such an awful thing. It sounds like there's been a nuclear holocaust and we all have to hide in a bunker somewhere. For most people, sheltering in place means you can still go outside and walk and ride a bike, although those rules have even changed somewhere else. This is an incredible time. If you're at home, instead of commuting to work, to find what extra time you have, and instead of frittering it away, you know, Pink Floyd style, frittering away the moments that make up a dull day, you know, learn something new. Get involved in an online group. Talk to the women online, even though you can't meet them face-to-face, -face, ostensibly. Some people are anyway. But start conversations. Make a friend. Read a book. Lots of us are going to be spending time on Netflix. Watch documentaries that help broaden your mind. Just don't watch reruns of The Office again and again and again. You know what I mean? There are ways you can build your skills. There are ways you can build your knowledge. Certainly, you guys listening, you ladies listening, if you want to get better with members of the other gender, if you want to get better in dating, we have ways you can download to your iPod everything you need 
to get incredible skills so that when you hit the ground running again, just a few short weeks, we hope, when everybody's champing at the bit to be social, you're going to lead the charge. You're going to be a machine out there. You'll be ready. Right. We know one thing about all of this is a lot of us haven't been wanting to make any changes for a very long time. And this is like you said, it's a disruption. It's forced us to make changes in our life. And it has given us the tools or helped us exercise the tools that we already had that change is okay. We can survive this. We'll get through this. We've, you know, exercise those muscles of creativity, exercise those muscles of strong-willedness that I'm determined to make this work. And we can take that and do new things with it. Like you said, learn how to date or learn how to sew or learn how to paint. Do something new that's different. Or maybe even change your life and decide I'm going to sell everything and move somewhere else. (laughs) Anything, right? Change. Yeah, you know, what's really interesting is we here in the United States, and indeed for much of the North American world, Canadians included, really needed a whack upside the head to remind us what it means to be together and united and to have a common purpose, to have a common enemy we're fighting. One of the good things that may come out of this disruption is instead of people sniping each other based on who they voted for, maybe we'll realize we are one country. You know, you're watching companies get together and make surgical masks and ventilators instead of what they were making before. And you're watching other folks say, hey, you know what? We have to all be in this together. Instead of fighting whatever advice is given to us, we need to do what we can to flatten the curve. And really, we haven't seen that need to really draw together and fight a common nemesis since World War II. When the men went off to fight the battle and the women went off to the factories to make stuff to support the battle, people went without in the name of winning the war. And that's where we are again. And the perhaps ironic result is it feels really good. You feel like you're part of something bigger. And even if you've been just working for the man and feeling like your life doesn't have a whole lot of meaning, that idea of finding meaning and helping flatten the curve, helping defeat this virus, when we're all done with it, We'll have accomplished something and we will have accomplished it together. And everybody who did their part will be able to join in that victory. And I think that's going to wake people up to this whole idea of what it feels like to live again. And maybe I do want to do more in terms of finding my actual purpose in this life and and doing what I can to leave the world a better place. Well, I think a lot of people, when this is done, it's going to be a kinder, more gentler world. Because a lot of people have expressed genuine care for each other. And it's my belief that it will continue. And I think in the dating world, we should see the effect on that. We're going to see people going out and actually dating successfully. We've heard a lot of complaints over the years that things have gotten very jaded out there and it's been very tough dating. But after this has all happened and it's behind us, we're going to probably find a lot of people are a lot friendlier, a lot nicer. It'd be easier to approach women and ask her for a date. And she's likely to say, oh, how nice. I'd love to. Yeah, I remember, you know, growing up in Baltimore, I went to New York City quite a lot. And I remember the first time I went on a business trip to New York City after 9-11, and I couldn't believe how it felt like a big, small town. Everybody was being friendlier. 
Everybody was being more genteel to each other. You know, back when I went to New York City as a kid, people were like, hey, 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 you know, calling each other names and honking each other on the street. And, you know, what do you want, pal? And <laughs> you weren't allowed to look at each other either. <laughs> right, exactly. A really nasty look. And from what I understand, I haven't been to New York in a few years. Things have kind of degenerated a little bit again. But everything was so friendly. Everybody was so nice to each other in New York after they had that common experience, that tragic event from 9-11. And, um, you know, hopefully what's going on in New York right now, as horrible as it is, that they're sort of the epicenter for coronavirus infections here in the United States, hopefully they'll come out of it once again, kinder and more gentle. And stronger. Yeah. You know, you're talking about how people live seeing things on TV and going, oh, wow, how nice. Now I feel like I've almost been there. I'm now reminded of how I went to the grocery store, like the first or second day when there was really a run on things. And a lady smiled at me when I smiled at her. And she said, I think this is the biggest adventure I've been on in years. And I just looked at her and laughed because I know what she meant. This was the most exciting thing that she had experienced, you know, having to wonder where your next carton of eggs was coming from, you know. And in one sense, it's funny. It makes for good humor. But of course, behind all humor is some truth. And I think that's what this woman really was feeling. I'd lived in my routine for ages. And now finally, this is different. And I feel almost a little adrenaline rush from it. Well, it's that challenge. And you know, we all need purpose. And that challenge helped develop that purpose. Kind of like when we were doing our safari and you don't know what's going to come out and attack you and kill you. <laughs> our real safari in East yeah, Africa. Yes, yeah. yes. And sure. you felt alive and excited and all that. So I understand that that is an adventure. We're living history and we're not watching it on TV. We're actually living it and experiencing it. And down the road, children and grandchildren will ask us, what happened back then? Oh, yeah. Schools closed and everything shut down. We're living in actual history. This is an adventure that we get to experience. We could look at it as, this is terrible. I can't believe this has happened to me. Or take it for what it is and that we've survived it. And, you know, you feel life in you. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, of course, have their kids home with them rather than finishing out school. And that's caused a lot of well-meaning parents to take up homeschooling to take up that mantle. And I'll tell you what, that's an adventure for any parent who's never <laughs> tried it before. Some parents are like, what do I do with them? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you got the memes about, you know, my kid's already been suspended for the remainder of the year and sent to the principal three times and it's only the first day. Yeah, our cheese has been moved. We're all going to need to get through this. And the reason why this particular episode is evergreen, even if you're listening to this long after the coronavirus pandemic has been resolved in one way or the other, is, you know, you need to get out of that rut. Even if you perceive yourself to be happy and things are going well, you only get one shot at life. Where's the adventure? Where's the rush? What are you missing out on? Because good enough really shouldn't have been good enough. And that's why I brought the guys together to do my Unsettled program, because you and I, Emily, are thinking about disrupting everything, and we already realize it felt good. And when the coronavirus pandemic and all the directives associated with it, all the disruption associated with it reared its ugly head, in my mind and in the mind of lots of guys who've joined me for this program, Unsettled, it was all the more evident to us how important it is to really look beyond the status quo and say, what is my purpose? Do I have multiple purposes in life? 
is my current purpose something that's waning and there's something else more for me out there to start doing? Is there an adventure that I've been somehow afraid to have or ruled out because I thought it was too far out of reach? What's that adventure? And having a band of brothers together to really figure out what that is and to encourage each other on that quest is what Unsettled is all about. So if you're listening to this program at the time it's being released, between the 27th of March and the 6th of April when we started, definitely go to mountaintoppodcast.com front slash unsettled and get a load of the page, first of all, because I have all these profiles and unsettled lives up there that are a lot of fun to read. And come join us. Be a part of something bigger. Dig deeper. Reach farther. I'm in it with you together. Emily and I are both in it because we're disrupting our lives and the lives of our whole family. And by the way, remember when we shot this idea by our kids, their eyes lit up. They're like, hell yeah, let's do something different. Can we do it tomorrow? Let's go, let's go, let's go. (laughs) Right. I mean, young children are inherently curious. And that's one of the things that I feel like I've done in my life is I've never lost that curiosity. You know, the old John Cougar Mellencamp song about Jack and Diane, oh yeah, life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. I've never understood that lyric. I don't know what's going on there. So kids are inherently curious. If you as a man listening to this are inherently curious about what the next chapter of your life is, join us at mountaintoppodcast.com front slash unsettled and uh, join us. It'll be exciting. It's going to be fun. Yeah. I don't think disruption is something to fear or something to fret over. Once again, you either find your sense of humor or you lose it. Those who are calm, cool, and collected and don't panic are those who are perceived by everybody else, men and women alike, as the truly evolved leaders among us. It's a sign of maturity. It's a sign of personal power as a human not to panic. When you take Scuba diving lessons, the first thing they teach you is how not to panic. Oh, good luck there. I, I, I'm going to panic. <laughs> <laughs> Something touched me in that water, I am jumping. Well, you're talking about the open water, which you've long had a phobia of. Yeah. But in all seriousness, you're right. And there's nothing more sexy than a guy who has that handled. Yeah. And matter of fact, I would love that to be the subject of an entire episode. Maybe I should get like a military guy, a special forces Ooh. guy to come talk about how to panic proof yourself <laughs> yes. as a man. That'd be a good one. But anyway, that's what we got for today. We love talking to you guys and to you ladies. And in case it wasn't obvious enough already, this particular episode is going to be cross posted to both the Mountaintop podcast and X and Y on the fly, both of which are on iTunes. And so um, we look forward to talking to you on the next episode. We do. From X and Y Communications in San Antonio, Texas, my name is Scott McKay. And I'm Emily McKay. Be good. And have fun. You've been listening to the X and Y on the Fly Dating Podcast with Scott and Emily McKay. Copyright 2009 by the X and Y Communications Worldwide Media Casting Network. Be sure to listen to Scott and Emily's other podcasts, including The Chick Whisperer, Dating Cast, an online dating profile rating, all found on iTunes or at x-net-media.com. Also, check out Scott and Emily on the web at www.deservewhatyouwant.com. This is Ed Roy Odom speaking for the X and Y Communications Worldwide Media Casting Network. Be good and have fun.